speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, if you missed it while Susie was here, let's, let's give Susie a hand. You know what? We don't give Susie a hand often enough. Uh, if you missed it, <laughs> thanks, Josh. If you missed it, my name is Chris, and I am the lead pastor here. Uh, and I'm just so honored to be spending my Sunday morning with you guys. I know there's lots of places you can be. Uh, one of them is watching the Ravens game, and I'm happy to see that you guys are in. You are here. Ain't no football going to keep us away, right? There's always a repeat, and the scores will be on TV later. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I see you're looking down at your phone, Dan. Are you watching online? Oh, okay. All right. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. We've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 since last week, and we're going to be there for the next couple of weeks. We're going to go through the whole chapter. Uh, if you remember last week, we said that the nickname for this chapter is called the Love Chapter, so it stands to reason that we are talking over the next several weeks about this concept, this idea, this topic of love. And I want to start off by telling you guys a little secret about me. Um, back when I was in high school. Now, now we all have known the whole gambit of people in high school, right? We got like the type A high school people who do everything they're supposed to. Every assignment is in two days early. They're like at the top of their mark. They got notebooks this full of notes. They're like the people that everybody else goes to to get all the answers to everything. They get A plus 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 pluses. They're the people who take all the AP courses and graduate with like a 6.0 grade point average. I mean, I'm just like overachievers. I don't... And then there's the people who work really hard and kind of have to work really hard to just make A's and B's. They do all the work. They probably work harder than the person with the 6.0 grade point average, but yet they just don't get to that place where they're in that upper percentile of uh, students in their class. There are, of course, the people who just don't even go to school. Uh, but then there is me. And... <laughs> When I was in school, my special gift, my hidden talent, the thing that I was really, really good at was doing the absolute minimum just to get by. I'll, anybody else? I'll, yeah, oh, thank you so much. I'm glad I'm not here all by myself. I really didn't care that much for school. I was not what they would call a... Um, Type A, uh, I was not in the, the, the A group, I guess. I wasn't, you know, on the A team. Uh, when we had lunch and I was sitting at the band table, I was one of those guys, right? So I wasn't real popular. I didn't really like high school, so I did the absolute minimum, kind of subscribe to the C's, get degrees, you know, philosophy of education. Uh, I graduated with a solid D-plus average. Solid. My gift. Yes. My gift was not putting a whole lot of effort in it and still getting it done and still sliding by and still doing what needed to be done to graduate and walk across that stage and get my diploma and throw my hat in the air. Not so much like that anymore. I mean, you know, life changes and things happen and you've got a lot more responsibility. But, but, but I think that kind of whole minimum effort, slide by, let it go with the flow is, is a lot like the way many of us approach love the subject of love. And the world kind of teaches us this, right? 
The world tells all the young people, oh, don't go seeking it. It'll happen when the time is right. It'll just happen. Just go with the flow. Just let it develop. Just, just, just let, let it happen, you know, and maybe not like romantic love at first, right? We all are overachievers in the romantic love category, especially men. You know, the first couple of weeks, first couple of months, we're buying the flowers and the candy and we're writing all the poems. I love you so much and I can't bear to stand my life without you. And, you know, we whisper in their ear. We hold the door, right? We actually run in front of our lady to hold the door, pull it open. And then when it's time to get in the car, we run around the side. And, you know, if we got an umbrella, we do all that. But then... You know, even then, even if we were those overachiever kind of persons, time passes. We get lazy, especially men. We put a little less effort into it. We're kind of like, oh, I'm getting wet too. You can walk around the side of the car. The doors are automatic. I mean, why do I really need to open it, right? You know, I mean, we do that. We just kind of go with the flow. We let it happen. And that's definitely... If you don't approach, like, romantic love that way, I think that's definitely how many of us approach this idea of Christian love, the idea of love that the Bible teaches us. Because we just like, oh, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to love. I'll let it happen. If the opportunity presents itself, if something comes my way, I might show some love. But really, I'm just going to walk through my life with my blinders on, and I'll just kind of go about my thing. I'll just go with the flow. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and God will show me what I'm supposed to do. I'm sure he will. Anybody? But have you ever heard Jesus talk about love in the Bible? Have you ever read those words that are in red letters about what Jesus said? That stuff is crazy. I mean, it's not just crazy, but it's scary. I mean, we can get with love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's okay. Love your neighbor as yourself because most of us really like ourselves a lot. But Jesus says things like, it's not just loving your neighbor. You have to love your enemies. Not just love your enemies, but pray for the people who persecute you. Come on, Jesus. Really? Do you know my enemies? Because they stink. He says, real love is this, that you lay down your life for one another. Really, Jesus? That sounds like a lot. And gospel writer John throws a big one in there. He said, if you do not have love, you do not know God. If you do not have love, you do not know God. And that's scary. Love is a big, fat, hairy deal in God's word. It's a big deal to God. The only reason that we get to call ourselves followers of Jesus, the only reason that we get to claim this gift of everlasting life of eternity in heaven with God is because of his love poured out for us on the cross in the form of Jesus Christ who suffered, died, rose again three days later all so that we can be forgiven of our sin and live eternally with God. It's a big deal. And if we approach this idea of Christian love the way God wants it to do with this kind of go with the flow, it'll just happen if the opportunity presents itself, uh, that just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Our entire faith is based on love. Our entire faith is based on God's love. It's not about being in love. 
It's not about being all warm and fuzzy. It's not about being all emotional and butterflies in your stomach. Last week we said we have to have love. Love is the one ingredient that completes each one of us. Otherwise, we're just a shell of a human walking around trying to make things on our own, trying to do things that the world wants, trying to cling to the promises the world gives us that always overpromise and underdeliver. We have to have love because it's what completes us. And we said last week we're going to take a look at what that love looks like this week. And you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know, Chris, that kind of love sounds like a lot of work. And the truth is, you're right. It is. Having love, being completed by love, having love be the mark of who we are as followers of Jesus is not an easy task. It is something we cannot take lightly and we cannot just say when it happens, it'll happen. But fortunately, thanks to our good friend Paul, we have help. Remember, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth not much different than most churches in America today, who were fighting, fighting about what God had done in their life. They were boasting about their own spiritual gifts. They were boasting about every little thing. They were fighting about every little thing. They were celebrating their own accomplishments instead of the accomplishments of God in the church. And Paul says, that's not it. It's about love. Because without love, none of the other stuff matters. And then he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. And many translations actually say it is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. And some of us are thinking to ourselves, I am in trouble. <laughs> I've been there. I'm there many days myself. But when we ask the question, what is this love that God talks about? This, I believe, is the most complete answer we will ever find, not just in God's word, but anywhere. Search the Internet. See if you can find a better definition of love that doesn't involve emotion. But that's the problem, right? Paul, in our brains, describes one emotion, love, with a bunch of other emotions. And that just doesn't make sense to us all the time. Because we think about love as an emotion, and Paul's describing love with patience and kindness. He says it's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not a record keeper. But this love that Paul describes is not an emotion. In fact, it has nothing to do with emotion. This love that Paul describes is a real, living, breathing tangible thing that each of us should have and he puts it out quite plainly this is what it's supposed to look like folks if you call yourself a follower of jesus if you call yourself branded by love then this is what it is supposed to look like there is no guesswork there is no confusion there's no must there's no fuss there's no wondering what it's all about it's like those infomercials right we all seen those infomercials where they're like don't you hate it when and somebody opens their kitchen cabinet and like a thousand plastic things fall all over them and they fall on the floor 
Or don't you hate it when your plastic wrap does this and they end up wrapping it all around themselves? Don't you hate it when you can't reach the top of your car with your hose and at the end they give you the exact thing you need, the exact thing that fits the bill? Now, I don't know whether they work or not because I don't buy many of those acetonal TV things, but this is what Paul's saying. He's like, don't you hate it when you think love is one thing and it's not? Don't you hate it when you think you got love in you, but you really don't? Here's what it looks like. If you're tired of wondering what God's love in us is supposed to look like to the world, it's right here. Right here. And this love is in a category all its own. The love Paul describes here has a name in the Greek, which is agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape love. But that's not the only love that the Bible talks about. There are several words used in the Greek language for love. Uh, The first of them is eros. E-R-O-S, that is the kind of romantic love between a husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, that warm, fuzzy feeling love with the butterflies and the goose pimples and all that kind of stuff. And you can understand where we get all the other words. Enough said. There is storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, storge, which is the familial love. That's the love a parent has for their child. That's the love you have for your brothers and your sisters, your aunts and your uncles, your nephews, your nieces. Storge. Then there's philia, P-H-I-L-I-A. And that's where we get the word Philadelphia from. Uh, And if anybody knows what Philadelphia actually means, you'll understand that philia is brotherly love. Philia is the love we have for each other. The, the compassion and the, and the, you know, I love you, bro, and the fist bumps and all that kind of stuff. And Philadelphia means, if you don't know, the city of brotherly love, right? That's what they call themselves. But agape is not like any of those loves. Because it, it's not even close, by the way. Because all those loves are two-way streets. All those loves require two people. A giver and a receiver, and hopefully it just keeps flowing back and forth like that. Eros, romantic love, requires a man and a woman. Storge requires you to have a family. Philia requires you to have friends. It's a two-way street, but agape is not like that. It's not like that at all. Agape is an unconditional love, and most of all, agape is a self-sacrificial love. We talk a lot here about dying to ourselves, and if we're going to have this love be completed by the love that Paul describes here, we have got to sacrifice self for all others. It is not dependent on what the world says love is. It's not dependent on the world's criteria. It has nothing to do with beauty and charm and wit and how they look in a dress and how he looks in a pair of jeans. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It always, 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 always seeks the good of others. And it never expects anything in return. It is not based on feelings. It is not based on your feelings for another person. In fact, to show agape love, real love, you don't even have to like somebody. Truth. It seeks the good of others and never expects a return. And it requires death to your pride. It requires death to your self-will. It requires death to your self-gratification. And it requires something more than that because while agape love, real love, may involve some emotion, we may like the people, we may have a true affection for those people, agape love must 
always involve action. Agape love is put into play when we get up and we do things. The love Paul describes is not an emotion. It's a verb. It is what we do. It is who we are as Christians. Agape love, real love does stuff. Real love does stuff. It is love in action for the world through Jesus Christ. And it does stuff all the time. It's never passive. And it will never happen on its own. It will never just come up. And one day you're like, oh, I have agape love for the world. Doesn't work that way. But what does all that mean, right? If we're going to try to put this into play, what is Paul talking about? And he starts very simply. He says two things. Love is patient and love is kind. Love is patient and love is kind. That's kind of like the internal and external sides of the same picture. And I got to tell you, I am not a very patient person. Susie can attest to this. I hate, 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 hate waiting. And it never seems to fail. Whenever we go to the store, we get in a line. The line is taking forever. One of two things either ha happens. So we're like, let's go over to that line. And we go over there. And as soon as we do, they're like, price check, register five, please. Or we're standing in line. And we're like the next person up behind the person who's got a thousand things in the 10 items or less line. And they open up another register and say next in line. And before we can even turn in this direction, the 50 people that were already behind us go into the register. And we're like, oh, I hate it. I hate waiting for people. If I have an appointment at 10 o'clock, please be there at 10 o'clock. A couple minutes early would even be better. I am not a very patient person, but this isn't the kind of patience Paul's talking about, folks. You can be impatient and still have a love that is patient because the word used to, to, to get to patient in our translation uh, can also be translated as long-suffering. Long-suffering. That means that in this world, when you try to go out and love the world, you're going to get a lot of pushback. In this world... You're going to get a lot of grief. In this world, you're going to encounter a lot of darkness. You're going to have people screaming at you for trying to do good. You're going to have people saying, I don't believe in that God because that God never did anything for me when you go out and try to serve them. Long-suffering, patient love says, even though that is what the world gives me, when I go out and try to be the hands and feet of Jesus, I will not react. Even though I have the power to retaliate, I could certainly get up on my soapbox and put out a few choice expletive deleteds, but I will not. I don't, even though I could. It's this really, 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 really slow fuse. It's like a fuse so slow that by the time it gets to where it's supposed to burn, it's already out. It's already out. Think about that person you know who pushes all your buttons. Go ahead. Don't look at them. Unless it's me, then keep looking at me. Kids are great at this, right? Kids know all the buttons to push, and they push like five of them at a time. Spouses, we know the buttons to push. We certainly know the buttons to push. But imagine that the whole world is trying to push your buttons when you're out there showing love, and you just be like, it's okay. I'm not going to react to you. You are not going to push the right combination of buttons. See, patient love is an internal matter of the will and of the heart. Because if we open our heart to the love of God, then that love of God in us will flow out to our own will, and we will 
see that we can have a love for the world that is patient. But he also says love is kind. And this is not just being a nice person. It's not like, oh, hi, how are you? Good to see you. Glad you're in church today. Okay, go away. I don't want to talk to you anymore. It's not any of that stuff. It's not like, you know, when I get a chance, I'm going to go out and do something nice. Oh, I saw somebody post something. Uh, they need food for, you know, they're, they're having a hard time. And then you wait like three days and then you go back and see and, and like everybody else has already done. You're like, glad I didn't have to do that. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. Kind love seeks the needs of others. It goes out and searches for what the world needs. It goes out and searches for what people need. And it doesn't expect repayment. It doesn't ever ask for something in return. Kind love is a lifelong endeavor to seek the good of others and to serve others. It's a lifelong endeavor to encourage people. It's a lifelong endeavor to lift people up. It's a lifelong endeavor to be active and involved in people's hurting and their darkness and their, their, their needs and their trials. It's not like when somebody says, please pray for me because I'm going in the hospital and 75 people put this on their wall. It's not that. It's stopping. Type out a prayer. Call the person if you know them. Send them a private message. You seek the needs of others. When you see hurt, you fill it. When you see need, you fill it. When you ride by somebody who is obviously not eaten in three days, you don't be like somebody else will take care of it because I don't have time. I'm already late, and Pastor Chris is waiting for me, and we know how impatient Pastor Chris is. You stop, and you pray, and you do something. You seek the good of others. It never seeks our own self-interest and always seeks the good of others. And if we're honest, we're kind of okay showing this kind love when it presents itself. We're kind of okay when somebody just comes right in our path and we can't move out fast enough and we got to help them. We're kind of okay with that. And then we pat ourselves on the back, right? We're like, I served today. I did such a great thing. And you blew it. (laughs) We blow it. That's what we do. We blow it. It does not seek ourselves. It seeks the good of others. Kind love pursues. It pursues like a laser focus. It pursues opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it never, ever, 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 ever stops being patient and being kind. It never stops being those two things, patient and kind. And if we can just get those two things, man, can you imagine how different our lives would look? Could you imagine how different we would look to the world? Could you imagine how much hurt we can heal? Can you imagine how much good we can do if all we focused on was having a perfect, real love that was patient and kind, that didn't react when the world threw shade and always looked to do good in this world? If that wasn't enough, though, Paul paints a a more complete picture of what real love is actually it's more like what real love isn't. And I kind of like I used to read this these verses. This is just the way Chris Beatty's brain works, which you don't want to be in there. Uh, it's just the way my, my brain works sometimes. I used to read these all as one thing, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. I used to read it all as one thing. But as I was preparing this week's message, I kind of 
stopped and said, okay, Paul says love is patient and love is kind. And I started thinking about the rest of these verses as, okay, if we're going to have patient, kind love, here's what it cannot do. Patient and kind love can't be any of these things. Paul says, if your love is patient and kind, then all of this stuff, all of this stuff is off the table. He says, patient, kind love does not envy. And we're such a jealous group of people in this world. We covet, we, we don't think we do, but man, we look at people's pictures and we're like, oh, I wish they were there, you know. I wish that was me. It must be nice. People have money, go on vacation. Or somebody tells us something nice that happened to them at work, and we give them that kind of like little sarcastic, cynical, oh, that's great. That's envy. It says, patient, kind love does not boast. Now, you might be saying, I don't have a boastful uh, bone in my body. Uh, I bet you do. Because we all love to talk about ourselves. We all love to put ourselves as the person who is going through so much more than the person who's actually going through something. We do this. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. This is the one thing that will always get in the way of us having a love that is patient and kind. Us. Our pride. Whatever that looks like. Maybe you're just like, I'm too, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stoop down there. He, he probably hasn't had a shower in three weeks. I'm not going to stoop down there. It's his own fault. If he just would get rid of that bottle, he probably would be okay. Why should I go in and spend my money for some water and something for this guy to drink when he's quite capable of getting a job? That's us. That's pride. It says, it does not dishonor others. It is not rude. I don't know if I need to say any more about that because the world teaches us that the, the snarkier and more sarcastic our conversations and replies are to people, the better. But love that is real, agape love, doesn't do that. It is not self-seeking. It never says, what's in it for me? It never says, where's my benefit? It never says, what am I going to get out of it? It doesn't even think, I know the Bible says if I serve with this love, God's going to give me blessings. It doesn't think, oh, where's my blessing? Where's my blessing? Where's my blessing? It doesn't do that. Real, kind, patient love is not easily angered. Uh-oh. Anybody here got a short fuse? Anybody here got a temper? Your boy does. It takes a while for me to get there, but... And it keeps no records of wrongs. This is what it means to have a love that completes us. This is what it means to have real love. And all these things that Paul says this love cannot be, by the way, they are all products of a love that we center on us. They are all products of a love that starts with our own self-interest and our own pride and our own will and our own what's in it for me and tries to move out to the world, but it just doesn't work that way. I mean, we've all been in love. Or most of us have been in love, right? Anybody been in love? Anybody been in love? Yes. However, when you're in love, anybody ever been in love and still been jealous of time? of people, of 
advancements, of hobbies, of all those things. You're all lying. <laughs> One person honest, thank you. One honest person in the whole group. All right. Anybody ever been in love and still gotten into arguments that end up disrespecting each other? There we go. <laughs> Hands all over the place. Anybody ever been in love and still had the attitude like, what have you done for me lately? You can raise your hand back there. I see it. I see it. And that's usually coupled with, well, you know, I do this and this and this and this and this and this. And what have you done for me lately? Right? We've all been in love and still gotten angry. We've all been in love and still hold on to that filing cabinet. And when the opportunity is right, and man, we open up that drawer, we scroll back to 1985, we pull out that car and we're like, you remember this? You remember? We still hold on to that. That's human love. All these things are, are the human emotional love, and that's all the things that human emotional love suffers from. But agape love doesn't suffer from those things because agape love is not based on emotion. Agape love is not based on us. Real love is not based on what we want from the world. Agape love is love in action. Agape love does stuff. It does stuff. It goes out and it loves the world with kindness and patience. It doesn't seek our own interest. It does good stuff. It is active. It is constant. It is never ending. And it takes effort. It takes effort. We have to be active in showing this love to the world. Remember, we're not in love with the world. We have love. It's our identifying mark as Christians. It is what we are. It is we are Christians by love, through God's love, and we are to reflect that love to the world. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this love that Paul describes that we say is active, that we keep saying is not a matter of our own self-will and our own self-interest? Remember, he says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not. It does not. It does not. These are all active present tense verbs, which means we do these things and we keep doing them over and over and over and over again. And when the world slaps us in the face because they're like, you're so naive out here loving the world, we keep doing them. And when the world throws shade on us and says, you shouldn't be doing that, when we want to go into a dangerous neighborhood, when everybody else is like, I wouldn't go in there past 5 p.m. And we're in there being the hands and feet of Jesus. And we keep doing it and we do it and we do it and we do it and we do it. We have to be active. We have to get up off of our Christian butts and get out in this world and have an active love. That's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. Whew, winded. Last week I told you guys that, you know, I spent a long time of my a lot of, a lot of time in my life being one of these people who had love, but it was all this self-centered, prideful, all-about-me love. And I'm not going to go back into that story, but, but here's the thing. If, you, if you've been in that situation, if you've, maybe you're like that, maybe you've been like that, maybe you know somebody like that. I, I didn't want to be that way. You probably don't want to be that way. You probably don't want to have that love that's jealous and angry all the time and keeps records of wrongs and boasts and, and is, is, you know, all that stuff. You probably don't want to have a love that, is, that is changes every day like the weather because of the situation you're in. 
I didn't want to have that kind of love. But it's not enough. It's not enough to just say, I want to have that love. It's not enough to even pray, oh, God, when you get a chance, can you just please make that love be active in me, be present in me? It's not enough. We can't just wish it in. We can't just want it in. We can't just will it in. We have to get in and get dirty. We have to roll up our sleeves and get into what God calls us to, and he's calling us all to something right now. And you may be ignoring it, and you may be saying, oh, well, when I get a chance or when I get around to it or that's kind of dangerous, God, or I'm not so sure I'm equipped for that. I don't care. He says go do it anyway. This is what real agape love is. It does stuff. Scripture tells us this is how the world knows we are disciples of Jesus, by our love, not emotional love. Not a love that we just let sit there and we'd be like, oh, I'll go with the flow. When it happens, it'll happen. It just happened, you know. One of these days, God will do it. One of these days, God will grow that seed. We have to grow that seed. He gives us the tools. And you might be thinking, oh, man, that is so hard, Chris. That sounds very difficult. I'm not so sure I can do that. I guarantee you can. Because we have been given the perfect example. If you think about everything that Paul describes love as, it paints a very complete picture of Jesus Christ. It is who he was and who he still is. Listen, when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't look at us the way the world looks at us. He looks at us with patience and kindness. Now, we may not call him patience and kindness. We call them mercy and grace. But they're very similar. Patience is this idea that even if we could retaliate, even if we could strike back, we're not going to let that happen to us. Mercy says, even though you deserve to be punished, I am going to withhold that punishment from you. Kindness says, I seek out the good in others. And grace says, I will freely give you my gift of love that leads to everlasting life. God is seeking you out. He's probably seeking you out right now. You might be feeling something strange going on in there that you never felt before. That's not love in the world. That is God's love in you. God's love, Jesus' love, does not record our wrongs. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. He says, when you put your faith in me, all that baggage you carried up here. Some of us got a lot. And I got a whole match set. He says, I'm wiping it clean. It's as if it never happened. Your sin is forgiven. You are white as snow. Washed clean. Jesus was never angry. Jesus was never jealous. Jesus was never rude. In fact, Jesus was the opposite of all those things. Jesus' love was perfect. Jesus' love was active. Jesus' love was so perfect and so active that it was poured out for us on the cross, put into action with him being beaten and tortured and hung on a cross to become the sin of the world, a debt that we cannot pay. That is agape love in action. That's right. Come on. But he didn't do that just so we can sit here and do nothing. He did that 
with the hope that after we come back to a relationship with God, we will reflect that love to the world. He didn't come to just have us sit in our closet and say, I'm saved. He chose us as his agents of redemption in this world. You want the world to be fixed? Who's that on? It's us. You see problems out there? How are they going to get fixed? You and me. There's homeless people up there. There's whole camps of them. How is that situation ever going to get any better? Us. Rolling up our sleeves, getting dirty. We got racial tensions. We got drug problems. Yeah, we got all that stuff. We got socioeconomic divisions in this community. We do. Pasadena ain't perfect, people. How's that going to get any better? Us. We have to be God's agents. We have to take that perfect love shed for us and poured out on the cross and reflect it to this world. We've got to put that love into action. Real love, the love that completes us, always does so. And it never stops. And I want to tell you today that if you came in here and have never known that love, if you have never known the love of Jesus, that it's waiting for you right now. Right now. He is offering it. He is seeking you out. You are not here by accident. You are in these seats for a reason. If you're watching online, you are watching for a reason because Jesus says, I want you back. God says, I can't stand to be separated from you. So I am going to show my love to the world and I'm going to send my son to stand in your place so that I can have you back in my family so that you can live with me forever so that your condition of sin can be taken off the table. You are no longer judged. You are no longer who you used to be. He gives you a new name. He calls you a new person. He calls you by his name. He says who you are. He says you are a free, redeemed child of God if we put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And I never leave without giving everybody a chance to do that today. And so if you feel his love just pulling at you, we're going to pray together, everybody with heads bowed. Jesus, I believe you are the Savior of the world. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross as the payment for my sin. Jesus, I believe you rose three days later, proving that you were God. And Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender, and I give it all to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so, Father God, as we just kind of close out our time with you today, we just want to thank you for anybody who has come to that place of decision, putting their hope and faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, because we know we know that we cannot love the world. We cannot be people of love uh, without you. It's just impossible to do on our own. So God, first and foremost, we thank you for anybody who has made that decision today. And for the rest of us, God, just 
give us a little constant reminder that love cannot be idle. Love cannot be passive. Love cannot just sit on a shelf and wait that we are called to be people of action. That we are called to be your hands and feet in this world. And finally, Father, we just ask that you keep everybody healthy and safe until we meet again. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll all say amen. Hey, listen, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ today, we want to know about that. Uh, You can put that on the back of one of the cards. You can drop it in that box. You can bring it to me or Susie. We'll pray with you. We want to get you involved in a Bible-believing church. We want you to be in a group of people, a fellowship that will uh, help you along your journey as a new Christian. And that might be this church. We would love it to be, but it might be another church, too. You know, we're we're equal opportunity Christians here. Uh, We can do all that stuff. So let us know that. If you're online, you can do that. You can drop a comment or you can uh, fill out. There's probably a link um, coming right up on your screen right now. Um, 